The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for being with us for another edition of Winning Ponies. Have uh, one guest you're very familiar with, a well-known national award winner and handicapper, one Tom Lamara, the news editor of the Blood Horse. And we're also going to have Doug Reed, who's the program director for the Racetrack Industry Program. Uh, and uh, he is just a fantastic guy that's a about going on about his 20th year at the University of Arizona that has this program that's had so many famous graduates from it. And uh, Doug has decided he's going to take a little bit of a break, and uh, I guess he's going to call it semi-retirement. But uh, we're going to talk to him about the expansion of the uh, racetrack industry program and how it grew and and where it's headed. Uh, Just a, a fantastic guy. I mean, he's, you know, been in the, the racing business uh as a racing secretary, heck, he was at Arlington Park, Oaklawn, Rockingham, and he's also been a racing official at, at numerous major race courses. So we'll go back, find out a, a little bit about Doug's uh, entrance into the game and then what's going on out there at the University of Arizona. Okay, well, uh, before I get on to the big events of the week, Hope you pulled down our Winning Ponies easy win forms before you went to the races on Preakness Day because we had a 50-cent pick five, races two through six, that returned $5,886. And on the same day, started your day off with a lot of pocket change right out of the gate in the first race, a $1 Super 5 box for thousand dollars so you know those days where you have big races the pools grow and you kind of hide your odds and that's where you get a chance to really score big so don't forget whatever track you're going to pull down the easy win forms well uh, of course the biggest news of the week was the preakness stakes the 141st running and it was a slight upset, I guess you could say. I know that uh, Keith DeSormo and his backers of Exaggerator were not sad to see the rain coming down on Baltimore. Of course, he had his huge win in the Santa Anita Derby, blew him away by six and a quarter on a sloppy sealed track, and he got the slop, I believe rated muddy, at Pimlico. Now, Nyquist broke from the gate sharp, Maybe too sharp. Some people questioning Mario Guterres' ride. I believe he ran the fastest first quarter in 
Preakness Stakes history. So Nyquist, no longer an undefeated horse in thoroughbred racing. Uh, he did hold on and just got third because Cherry Wine at 17-1, to 1, the horse that ran third in the bluegrass and didn't have enough points to get in the Kentucky Derby, got up at 17-1. to 1. I know that broke up a lot of chalky exactas because everybody thought it was a two-horse race between Exaggerator and Nyquist. But Cherry Wine broke it up. I did have some friends that, that had to try, though, so I'm happy for them. Now, we were hoping for a rematch in, in the Belmont Stakes. It was uh, said by the connections of Nyquist that they were going on to Belmont and trying for the rubber match, but then found out the next day that his uh, blood count was up and basically kind of had a touch of the flu. Uh, now, while he'll recover from that, uh, you know, most probably, uh, it would have set him back to the point where, A, he had to stay at Pimlico for a while, and it just would have taken him off his training regimen. Of course, anytime you get the flu, you lose fluids, you drop weight. The same thing happens with a horse. So uh, Nyquist uh, is improving. Uh, they've uh, told us uh, just yesterday that uh, his white blood cell count and fever have tailed off a little bit, but uh, he won't be going in the Belmont Stakes. Uh, Jack Sisterton, who is Doug O'Neill's assistant, said the horse is doing great and uh, is slightly elevated uh, white count. Uh, his temperature spiked just a little bit, so they're just going to take it easy on him. They're not going to run him unless he's 100%, and of course, that is the right thing to do. So no Triple Crown winner, but for Exaggerator, he is headed off, and he is good and headed towards the Belmont Stakes. According to uh, Keith DeSormo, he's eating up his feet. His legs are tight and cold. He's doing all the things we want our horses to do. So uh, he'll take it easy for a couple of days, and then he'll start galloping, I believe, on Saturday. So uh, the first time ever in history that a brother team, jockey and trainer, won the Preakness Stakes. Here's some sad news uh, out of Frankfort, Kentucky. What a great guy. Owner-breeder Fred Bradley passed away at 85 earlier in the week. Uh, of course, he bred and raised horses at what they called his Indian Ridge Farm near Frankfort. He's the father of Buff Bradley, who, of course, conditioned uh, Groupie Doll and Brass Hat. And uh, Fred was a tough guy. He grew up in a coal mining town. Uh, he flew jet fighters in Korea and Vietnam before retiring as a general at age 60. He raced stock cars, owned a trucking company, uh, started a law practice, served as a county judge, and then served as a Kentucky state senator. Fred Bradley, an amazing guy. Perhaps uh, I'll give Buff a call and see if we can't uh, get him on the show to talk more about his father. Of course, uh, their Indian Ridge Farm, they Built it from scratch. Uh, Fred and Buff put in the fence post themselves on a 320-acre farm. And let's uh, not forget that uh, they came up with Brass Hat, who ended up winning 2.1 million dollars, and they came up with Champion Groupie Doll from pretty modest bloodlines, and they raised those horses on their own farm. So Fred Bradley no longer with us. Uh, heartfelt feelings going out to Buff. Bradley, and his family. All right, let's get back on some good new page. Guess who's back in town out on the West Coast? Spendthrift Farms Beholder threw down a warning to her rivals, clocked five for a long bullet, and 59-2. and two. 
saying that she was breezing. And Hall of Fame trainer Richard Mandela said, well, we let her show off a little bit this morning. Now, she's going to have a tougher race. It uh, looks like the next time uh, she'll go to post, she's going to be uh, facing the likes of uh, Stellar Wind and Terrace. But let me tell you, uh, <laughs> yesterday morning, Beholder, who's now six years old, and I'm really proud that her connections are keeping her in training, uh, she showed that uh, she is definitely the one to beat. be very interesting down the road to see if uh, Songbird elects to get out of her division and her and Beholder could meet up somewhere. So it'll be uh, very interesting. Spencer Farms not pushing her. They said, hey, we let Mandela make the calls. There's a reason why he's a Hall of Famer, and uh, we'll just do what he tells us to do and what the horse tells us to do. Well, you may recall a couple weeks ago we had Randy Sampson on Winning Ponies, uh, the uh, Canterbury Park president. And they now have the lowest takeout in the United States. And guess what? His gamble paid off. They had handle gains both on and off. Uh, Randy was uh, very, very happy. Uh, He said that the attention on Canterbury Park was amazing. uh, And they expect more players nationally, of course, to to catch on. Uh, They expect the fields to get bigger and to be bigger than the national uh, average. Wagering on the track was up 25%, and wagers from sources outside of Canterbury, listen to this, increased by 34%. So when you're pulling down your easy win forms, you might want to check out to see what's going on at Canterbury because you're going to get the best bang for your buck at any track in the United States. Now, uh, the racing will uh, resume on Friday. It's uh, evening, 6.30, post-central time. And then they race Saturday, Sunday, and Monday in the afternoon. So, uh, Canterbury Park, Randy Sampson, thank you very much. A little bit of news in the Bloodline section. A half-sister to Arve de Grasse, the great champion, got her win at Delaware in her third try. Mademoiselle Coco is the name of the mayor, so you're going to want to keep an eye out for her. She uh, was trying two turns for the first time, and just as the champion was trained by Larry Jones, so is she. So it'll be very interesting. Of course, uh, Arbe de Grasse went on to win uh, over uh, $2.5 million and then sold in the ring for $10 million to Mandy Pope's Whisper Hill Farm. All right, we've got to take a look at some more of the action uh, at Pimlico as quick as we can. They had a great undercard both days. Of course, the black-eyed Susan, kind of like the uh, Kentucky Oaks, three-year-old Phillies going a mile and an eighth. Land over sea did not get the job done, but getting the job done was Go Maggie Go, a fourth-time starter who was fourth in the Kentucky Oaks, Dale Roman's train, Go Maggie Go with Louis Sayez, got the job done in the Black Eyed Susan. Land over sea just kind of faded to mid-pack, so it'll be very interesting. Of course, glad to see Dale Romans is, uh, is with us and feeling good. You know, he had a car crash uh, shortly after the uh, Kentucky Derby. Uh, he was okay. Earlier on the car, big disappointment in the Pimlico Special. The two horses we liked the most, Paige McKenney and Stanford, had were scratched. Now, the track on Friday was fast, so the eventual winner of the Pimlico Special, uh, a horse I like a lot, Noble Bird, went wire to wire with Julian Leperu in the saddle, won by 11 and a quarter lengths. Second was Idelio Portento, and third was Warrior of the Roses. Then it was 
Chin McKay Turf Sprint. How about this? Five wins in this race for Ben's cat. That's right. He's edging up to $3 million. A 10-year-old, King Leatherberry, what a job he's done with this horse. Uh, he well, won this race last year, too. He's four for five in this race. So congratulations to the connections of Ben's cat. If you've got a good horse and you can keep him sound and going, you're going to win some races. But that is just unbelievable. For the fifth time, Ben's cat takes the $100,000 turf sprint in the Jim McKay. Okay, in the... Uh, L.R. DuPont Distaff, the winner was, ah, chocolate. That's right. One by a half a length, rated very well for our good friend that's been on with us a few times, Brian Hernandez, Neil Howard's the trainer. Those two have teamed up for quite a few wins with that this horse. Ah, chocolate gets the job done. Well, like I said earlier, the uh, Pimlico <clears throat> undercard was good, though it did come up muddy. And uh, in the Maryland Sprint, the winner was always Sunshine. It's the second favorite. I love this by a $2,500 stallion. West Acre gets this job done at grade three Maryland Sprint. Then in the J.W. Murphy, $100,000. The winner was Marengo Road, a horse that figured on top on our easy win forms here at Winning Ponies, paying $33.00. And eighty cents. Then in the hundred thousand dollar very one, had to go outside. Lady Shipman got the job done for Karen McLaughlin. Was favored, even though it was running on a good turf track. But Lady Shipman is back on track. And then in the Chick Lang, it was Justin Squared at four to five, making a lot of people happy. Going to wire to wire. This horse was nominated for the Triple Crown. We'll see what Bob Baffert does. It could be his new Golden Sense. So that's a look at the, the big races on the uh, undercard uh, for both Black-Eyed Susan Day and Preakness Day. But like I said, right now we're going to talk to a guy who's uh, uh, going out on top. We're going to be talking with the program director for the Racetrack Industry Program, Doug Reed. When we come back, you're listening to Winning Ponies. to the pros we we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the triple crown breeders cup travers haskell or your daily races don't worry let winningponies.com make some money for you your internet flagship station for sports Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. 
Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, as I said at the top of the show, going to have a first-time starter here at Winning Ponies. And uh, his name is uh, Doug Reed, Program Director for the Racetrack Industry Program. Uh, Doug's responsible for the whole bag of coordination, administration, promotion, fundraising. That's always a lot of fun uh, for the RTIP, as we call it, uh, in the in the racing world, and uh, what was great about going back and researching uh, Doug uh, prior to his position at the University of Arizona is uh, that he has a lot of on-track experience that led him to being uh, not only a racing official, but a racing secretary at uh, places like Arlington Park, Oak Lawn, Rockingham, uh, Obviously, he's got enough experience to be doing the job that I think he was meant to be doing and did a fantastic job with, and still is until he decides to retire. Doug Reed, how you doing? John, thank you so much for having me on my show, on your show, excuse me, and, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Hey, my show is your show. Well, <laughs> like, like I just just said, you know, um, you had such a great foundation uh, to become uh, the director of the racetrack industry program, because of your hands-on experience in racing, um, where did you come from, and how did racing enter into your life? Well, I love to talk about that because it's kind of a, I, I jokingly say, uh, you know, I started from the ground up, and I had a baptism of fire, and I'll explain. I literally started from the ground up. Uh, my dad and mom took us to the Timonium State Fair, and you know we did what all families do at the State Fair: ride the rides, see the animals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But my dad liked to take in a race or two once in a while, so he dragged us all over there to the races at Timonium, and and I think that's where I got the bug, as they say, or got it in my blood. I wanted to get in the business so bad, you know. My, uh, I had no family in the business, and back in those days. Uh, I was discouraged, actually, by a lot of people in the industry that said you have to, it's who you know and you have to know someone, that I started on the maintenance crew at Timonium doing exciting things like uh, picking up trash and mowing lawns and raking behind the starting <laughs> gate. Well, where, where do we go from there? Well, from there, I, you know, I got uh, almost came out here as a student. It's a funny story because I was in college because I... I kind of said I better have a degree to have something to fall back on because in case I don't get into this business, it looks like it's tough to get into. Um, so I majored in mathematics, of all things, just because it became it was easy. And um, I just told everybody what I wanted to do and started maintenance. And when I graduated from college, I heard about this program out here, applied, was offered a pretty good grant, and they were going to allow me to do an MBA, but at the same time, you know, having worked summers at Timonium, I made connections, and uh, they offered me a job in the racing office uh, full-time, so I thought two years of full-time job would be better, not knowing that I'd eventually come to Arizona anyway, and uh, rode the uh, racing official life for quite a few years, worked up and down the East Coast, had a great circuit in Florida in the winter, Jersey Shore at Monmouth in the summer, and Maryland in the fall, and eventually became racing secretary at the tracks you mentioned earlier. And um, my baptism of fire came that uh, 
Tommy Trotter promoted me to racing secretary after my first year as his assistant, and that was the year of the uh, what they called the Miracle Million, the fire, the grandstand burned down. Oh. <laughs> I think you remember all that. Yes, yes, I certainly do. Well, that was my first job as a racing secretary, so I literally did have a baptism of fire, as I joke about it, And uh, but I learned a ton that year because of the circumstances, and then... Uh, Again, went on to Rockingham and eventually wanted to move on from being a racing secretary and got uh, to be vice president of uh, racing operations and at Santa Fe Racing, which operated two tracks in New Mexico. So uh, I really learned a lot about management. At smaller tracks, you kind of do it all. Oh, yes. Believe me, I've experienced that. Well, what was your bridge to academia? And I must say... And I've talked to a lot of people in the industry. You've got a lot of people. You've got a fan club out there. Well, what, what, what you did with the program, I know you'll probably say, hey, I came in and it was a good foundation. But what was that bridge that got you from the Santa Fe Racing to uh, the program that you're in? You know, I've heard plenty of former students come back and speak or speakers we have here at the program, and, and I'm no different. You know, sometimes you just you got to be ready for any opportunity, and you you got to be flexible in this business of horse racing, and, you know, things happen, and, and you, you can't predict where you're going to go. I just heard that, uh, you know, Jim Mulvihill was telling that to students this semester, and I, it was so resonated with me. What happened is I was kind of looking because Santa Fe Racing was for sale at the time, and uh, so I was kind of looking anyway, and I had been invited out here twice to be a guest speaker and actually loved the experience and, and just really enjoyed it, and I think between those two things, you know, it was ironic, uh, I was heading out here for my second invite to be guest speaker, and that job opened up, and I went home and told my wife, I said, you know, I think we, you know, I think I want to apply for that, and it sounds extremely interesting, and, and so they say, the rest is history. <laughs> hey, I've been a guest speaker out there twice. When does the job open? I'm putting my resume in. Well, they're, they're searching now, so uh, <laughs> I guess it's a free advertisement. They've, they've got uh, ads out, and they're, they're looking to uh, find a new director of the program, and it's a great place, the U of A, and it's a great program. It's just time for me to to move to another chapter. I'm not retiring in the purest sense. I'm just making a change. Well, um, one thing that that, uh, the University of Arizona does is is hosting the uh, symposium on racing and gaming. And like I said, I I went out there for years. I've probably been out there Oh, at least 10 times, uh, twice as the president of the Turf Publicist, where I got to actually be part of the speaker series and putting together uh, different formats and bringing in top people from the country. That is just a sensational experience, not only for us that attend it, but for your students. Uh, it's, it's the best for the students. It's, it's the unique selling proposition of the program. Where does an undergrad or a grad student get to meet 500 people in the industry every year, and they come to town. You know, they come right to the town where the campus is at. We get the students involved in it. It is just a great program. And, you know, this year um, we launched something new that I'm real excited about and, and was proud to be part of launching. It was Innovator Circle, which would be something up your alley. I don't know if you heard about it, but I was just absolutely you know, it exceeded my expectations. It really went well. We're going with year two, so we just announced we're doing it again this year. 
Well, you know, I know you also had the mentorship program. I was uh, proud to be the mentor of a guy. I don't know. You've had so many students, if you remember him, but he came into your program at a later age. His name was Pete Sellen. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. What a great... Poor Pete. You know, Pete, you know, has has left this world, but I'm sure he's at the racetrack in the sky. And we hold a race in his honor. Not we. I should say some alum and give them credit. Several alum pitched in, and there is a memorial race for him every year at the Great Rito Racetrack right here in Tucson. Well, uh, to to tell you how far back I go with with Pete, he managed a rock and roll band that my roommate was the lead man of on Long Island. (laughs) I remember you telling me that story. That that is, you know, that's the old small world at at work, you know. (laughs) Well, you've got a great memory. Uh, Some people might not know that the the racetrack industry program uh, has uh, uh, some pretty interesting alumni. I haven't gone through the whole alphabet, but when I got to the A's, I I, I see the guy by close to the B's, Robert Baffert graduated from there. (laughs) I believe Todd Pletcher graduated from there. And a uh, a guy I got to work with for several years that I had a great time with when I was out at your program, our friend Pete Aiello is now graduated to uh, track announcer. It's interesting, and I think I told you this in a conversation the other day, about a third of the people that I interview on this program have come through your program, and they're at all different levels of racing. Well, you know, it's true, and, it, you know, it's an interesting, another trainer that doesn't have the, you know, the Pletcher or Baffert name, but he's, he's, he's an up-and-comer, and he's starting to do really well as Phil D'Amato, and the neat thing about Phil is he came through here when I was here, so I know him better than the other guys, and, and he didn't have the background in in the horse, and, and, you know, he did own a horse, but he didn't have the the leg up, if you will, that Pletcher and Baffert had, and he's still a success, and then there's as you said, Pete Iell, and, and just you could go on with the list of people that are working on the track management side, which is, of course, um, close to my heart because that's my background, and, and of course, that's the teachers, uh, the classes that I teach, so uh, I really enjoy talking about those students as well. Well, uh, I know we've got people of all ages. We've probably got uh, kids that could be college-bound listening to the show. We certainly have parents of kids that are trying to figure out uh, what they want to do. Um, how would we guide someone uh, to the uh, you know, U- University of Arizona racetrack industry program? What are the steps they need to take? Well, you know, I think the simplest thing, since we're probably short on time, is, is to mention the website, and then from there they can investigate. It's UA, as in University of Arizona, and then a dash, and then rtip.org. So it's ua-rtip.org, and most of the information's there, and then links to application process, how to contact us. But, uh, you know, we have a grad program and an undergrad program, and it really is successful. If I can honestly say to anybody, any parent, any prospective student, and the key is if you come here and take advantage of everything this program has to offer, it will work out. I mean, that's the key. You know, you got to come here. There's so many opportunities besides the symposium, the guest speakers, the internships that, uh, you know, lend themselves to providing opportunity. We like to say we bridge education with opportunity. Well, and you do. I know when uh, I was, uh, and still am, with the Turf Publicist, um, we kind of adopted one of your students, Candace Curtis, 
And uh, she is now full-time in the industry. I believe she's out of the Lexington area. Yes, she is. I think she's working for Horse Racing Nation, and, and um, oh, I can't think of the contest. Um, shame on me, but she's been there ever since she left here, and I think she's enjoying it. Well, Doug, I think you're able to forget exactly what everybody's doing. Uh, I'm going to say you've been there about 20 years. I think you started in 2000 and, no, no, in 1974. Uh, actually, no, no, no. The program started in '74. I started in '94. So uh, oh, okay, okay. But, but I've got my okay. numbers backwards. That's I'm quite all right. I, I, it'll be um, very close to 22 years when I retire, and I'm not really retiring. I'm going out and and doing independent consulting and part-time gigs, and I'm an empty nester now. So it's it's a good time to stay in racing because I love it, but do something different. Well, Doug, we got about 50,000 listeners uh, from all parts of the industry, so here's your chance to get, to get your new resume out there. How would somebody get a hold of Doug Reed before he uh, blows the candles out on the retirement cake? Well, you know, the, the nice thing is uh, I was just granted emeritus status here at the university, so I can still be contacted at my university email or dougreed27 at gmail.com, um, so I'm Probably not going to be too hard to find, hopefully. The, you know, the beautiful thing about the racing industry, and I do mean this, is, you know, the people in the industry, it's a small community. And, and I've had the pleasure of having worked, a, you know, lots and lots of tracks and, and then met lots and lots of people through this job. And um, that's a neat part about it. You know, you got so many relationships and friendships and business relationships that uh, it's a pretty small world. And uh, I'm probably... Uh, Hopefully not too hard to find, I would hope. Well, I don't know if it would help you or hurt you, but you can certainly put me down as a reference on any resume that you float out there. But I don't think Doug Reed's going to have a problem. I'm sure you'll, you'll be in demand. Certainly someone as skilled as you with 20-plus years uh, guiding the racetrack industry program to become such a solid uh, your institution, really, in, in racing is uh, quite a feather in your cap. And, uh, you know, all I can say is uh, you're going to sorely be missed by a lot of people because I personally know many individuals that, that went there, and they've got nothing but great things to, to say about Doug Reed. Well, thanks. It's, it's, been, it's been a fun ride, pun intended. And, you know, people like you are, are part of what makes this industry great, and I mean that. You, you are, you know... Like many others, you, you love it, and therefore you're promoted, and, and I do the same. I, you know, I, and I think there's an opportunity for racing to get innovative, and I hope I can dabble in, in some experiments out there with some tracks and trying some things, and, because uh, it's certainly there's parts of it that are working really well, and that's what we got to capitalize on and try new things and, and not dwell on the, you know, the, the few things that, that we struggle with, and, and those we can overcome. A lot of it just takes hard work. Well, stay in touch with me. I, I look forward to your, your next step in the sport of racing. Uh, you've certainly left your imprint at the University of Arizona. Doug Reed, thanks so much for spending time with us on Winning Ponies. Thank you, John, and, and good luck to you with the show, and, and I look forward to seeing you down the road. All right, I'm sure we will. And another guy I'm going to see down the road real soon is Tom Lamara. He's going to be with us next. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds 
Bart. They need to bitch his ass and then move on. I just, I just think that the coach made a mistake. Oh, crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, a guy that's been nice enough to be on this program many times with me. I, I call out to him not only because uh, he's an award-winning writer and the news editor of the Blood Horse, but I consider him a, a personal friend, and he's a guy that loves the game of racing and, and entered the game uh, in hopes that the game stays as it was. Tom, how you doing, my friend? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing okay. Hey, I just want to let you know I, I'm doing a book review <clears throat> on a book called The Golden Age of New Jersey Horse oh, Racing. That's Linda's book. Linda Dockers. Yes. She's, yeah. worked, she, she's done work for the Blood Horse, right? She has, and I've known her for many years. And, uh, you know, it's a good book. And uh, Linda lives in Pennsylvania, but I spent a lot of time in New Jersey. She's covered New Jersey racing. And, uh yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Well, you know, I, I know that uh, you cut your teeth uh, on the tracks in New Jersey. Well, I, I guess, uh, yes, yes, I was born there, but it's not what it was. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. But uh, there, there's some pretty courses there. I mean, I remember going there back in, like, the late 60s, early 80s, and I really liked, like, Atlantic City Race Course, and, and Monmouth Park had this really cool little picnic area, correct me if I'm wrong, down at the, down about the 16th pole or something like that. Um, it, it was going pretty good back then. Well, it's still there. Um, you know, um, Atlantic City closed uh, two years ago, and, uh, you know, they had these short, Six-day meets, which is really a shame because the I mean it was probably the nicest track in New Jersey, um, you, you know. But you know that's what economics of racing does. But 
you know, Meadowlands has some really good meats. And, of course, Garden State Park, which burned when I was a kid. Uh, but I did go to the old one, and then I was still living there when I went to the new one in 85. That closed. And, that, you know, it's just an unfortunate situation. Uh, you know, New Jersey was one of the leading racing states at one time. It's not anymore. You know, there's, like, one track, and then Meadowlands runs some turf race, uh some grass races for thoroughbreds in September, but that's about it. So, you know, it's really sad. It's, you know, but, you know, um, uh, New Jersey is a casino state, and, uh, of course, the casinos are getting battered (laughs) because of competition from neighboring states now. When they had a monopoly, they didn't capitalize on it. But it's just, uh, you know, I hope it works out. I do, but it's a tall odor. It really is. Well, um, Tom, um, I, you know, I, as much as I know you, you, you love the little tracks and, uh, and you're a big supporter of the, the backbone people that put racing together. Need to uh, move your attention towards the national racing scene. Let me start first with your analysis of the Derby. Well, <laughs> you know, I picked Nyquist on top because he had not lost. And the race kind of went how, how I thought it was. The horses behind him didn't necessarily come in the way I thought they would. Of course, Nyquist came back and won the Preakness. And beat no, Nyquist. Exaggerator came back and won the Preakness. Oh, excuse me. Right. Exaggerator came back and won the Preakness. But you know what? Um, you know, I think the race was pretty true to form. Um, at that particular time, I think Nyquist was on his game. He's been very well managed. And, uh, you know, he had some time off at Keeneland after the Florida Derby. Came back, was ready to go. And he, you know, and he ran a great race. Uh, the Preakness, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, the trainer admitted, you know, that he just wanted to get him out there. And, you know, unfortunately, two other horses went out after him, which, you know, I guess on paper you might have thought, but that wasn't the case. Um, but you know, Nyquist ran a great race in the Preakness. I I didn't pick him on top. I picked Charlie Wine and I admit I was kind of like rooting for him to get up for second because I used Exaggerator in the Preakness who I thought would improve on the, on the Derby. But you know what? The horse, Nyquist is a really good horse. And, um, you know, I think when the year is done, I think he's going to show that. I just think, you know, uh, it's just, you know, the forces worked against him in the Preakness. And there were so many forces working against him. Uh, number one, Mother Nature. Now, I'm not saying, you know, we saw that he there was water on the track when he won the Florida Derby. Yeah. But let's face it, Exaggerator does move up. He does. On a sloppy track. There's no doubt, doubt about that. And against good company. But the other thing was, is I believe he ran the fastest first quarter mile ever in a Preakness. I believe so. And, you know, you're watching this race and you're seeing 22 and change. And you're going, oh, this is really fast. (laughs) You know, and then the half was fast. And then he was still in contention. And actually, Uncle Lino uh, was still in contention as they 
cut the corner and head for home. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is interesting. You know what? It was a really good ride by Kent Zormo. Yeah. Um, you know, he talked about how everybody said, stay off the inside. Well, Kent Zormo and Corey Lannery on Cherry Wine went up the inside. And they ran one, too. So, you know, <laughs> look, look, these horses aren't machines. You know, they only have so much to give. It depends on the day, the circumstances, the pace. Nyquist ran a great race. and He uh, really did. I mean, it, it was a formidable he, race. He I really mean, did. How many he times did. have you bet on a $10,000 claimer where you just saw the, the legitimate horse that should win go too fast early in the race? Many times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> many you know? Times. Right. I, I right. just think that yeah. that's what happened. I, I, now, the first eighth of a mile... I thought it was perfect because Mario got him out. It, 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 you know, I've right. got photos from the Derby. And he got him right where he should. He had a horse on the outside, horse on the inside. But you notice that he got kind of out into, into that four path, you know. I, I think he was one of the ones that said, hey, I don't want to be down on the rail. But for some reason, by the time they got into the turn, he didn't take him back like he did in the Derby. And it right. cost him. I, I really yeah. think that is so, you know. And uh, but I'll tell you what, you know, Doug O'Neill is very classy in defeat. Uh, he certainly he didn't get down on Mario. Uh, he he he, he patted uh, Keith DeSormo on the back for the run with Exaggerator. And I, I really do that think he had all intentions of uh, you know doing a rubber match in the Belmont. The thing we'll never know, Tom, is that with that elevated white blood cell count, did he perhaps was he tailing off when he went in the gate? At Baltimore. Well, that I don't know. Um, None of us I do will. know that, no, yeah, yeah, that I don't know. But you know what? Um, you know, the horse won a mile and a quarter race that people thought that he couldn't do. And he won it from off the pace. And, uh, you know, so the Preakness was a 16th of a mile shorter. He lost. Maybe that was the excuse. But you know what? Whether that was the fact or not, you know, the way the race set up, it really didn't set up for him because he was on the pace in a uh, three-horse speed duel for a half, two-horse speed duel into the final turn, and he lost. You know, it's like, well, you know, he won his first eight races, you know, and it, it's like draw a line through it, move on. When he comes back, if he's three to one, I'm betting it. That's all I can tell you. Right. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, horses lose, you know, they're not machines, so. No, 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 they're not, and uh, certainly, I'm sure, uh, you know, 99% of the trainers in the United States would be elated if they ran third in the Preakness Stakes, you know, let alone, you know what I mean, and, you know, he's a champion, you can't take away his two-year-old season, he's got great foundation, the race didn't set up for him, I I just uh, pray that he bounces back, uh, you know, from this uh, fever, and um, I'm sure that uh, Doug O'Neill, as sharp as he is, will, you know, chart uh, a course for him, you know, that's going to that's gonna get him back. They've already mentioned races like the Travers. Um, and so it's kind of fun now to see that, you know, eh, the three-year-old division is going to open up a little bit. We're going to have a winner of the Belmont Stakes, whether or not the, that's Exaggerator, Cherry Wine, or somebody that's coming out of the Peter Pan. All of a sudden, it does make for a little bit more of an interesting scenario uh, for our three-year-old division. Yeah, right now, you know, the Belmont is kind of a weird race, as you know, because you've seen many of them. Actually, you've probably seen more than me. <laughs> but, 
No, but really, you know, the way Exaggerator races, you know, he does have some early speed. And, um, you know, I think you need to be fairly close, depending on the pace. I, I, I can't remember the last... Oh, excuse me, Smarty Jones was the ridiculous uh, pace tool. But, uh, but that was, you know, 12 years ago. But, you know, if Exaggerator's in the right spot... You know, this horse bounces back quick. I think he's probably the horse to beat in the Belmont. So right, and I, I know there's something that uh, that you've heard over the years. I, I know I have, and uh, that's uh, everybody going. Oh, you know these deep closers like like Brody's cause. They're going to absolutely you know love you know the uh, you know the, the mile and a right. half. But you know what? The Belmont's a race. If you're not on or near the lead at the quarter pole. More often than not, you're not getting there, even though it's a mile and a half race. Right. Uh, you know, the one horse that's, uh, you, you know, it's kind of odd because, you know, sudden breaking news has no speed. But it's kind of odd because as he's stretched out, you know, he's kind of continued to close into a pace, either slow or fast. Uh-huh. And you know what? You know, I think Von Hamill's right. You know, he said that maybe a mile and a half is this horse's distance. Uh, you know what? It might be. And, and you know, it's kind of because I look. I don't look for horses who come from far back in the Belmont. But right. you know what? Uh, you know, maybe this horse just has that kind of sustained run. And if he's not too far back, he can make a run. Uh, I don't know. But, but, you know, I mean, really, Exaggerator was kind of like wrapped up. I think in the Preakness, I don't think he really pushed him. And I think he's the best horse, but I think sudden breaking news might be worth looking at. Well, at least. It, yeah. it will be interesting. Of course, we know Exaggerators had the most experience of running against, uh, uh, until last Saturday, someone was considered, uh, you know, without a doubt, the, the best horse in the country, Nyquist. So that certainly puts Exaggerator from a class edge up towards the top. Now, the one horse I haven't heard much about, uh, you probably have, who I thought might fit the Belmont, would be Gunrunner. Uh, you know what, John? I don't. I haven't heard anything uh, since he was, um, you know, said to not go in the Preakness. I don't know. I mean, he's not on the list. Um, that doesn't mean it'll show up, but. You know, you'd think with his running style and his races at fairgrounds that that would suit him. Um, but no, I have heard nothing and uh, hate to admit, but nobody of the Blood Horses contacted the trainer, so I don't know. Well, <laughs> but get you know, Claire Novak I mean, on that tomorrow, okay? Yeah, right, Listen. Right. Maybe they're Let's... looking at races down the road. I, I don't know, you know, um, yeah, but uh, just... yeah. No, you became right. a non-factor, would, and I'm just scratching my head. You know. Well, he would seem to fit that race. You're right. He would. So, well, I don't know. Let's move on to some some handicapping here, Tom. Thanks for your input uh, on on uh, the, the three year old division. It's uh, going to be a, a fun Belmont, if nothing else. But um, because all the big races out of the way, the best race I could find was a Grade Two this week, and that's up at Woodbine. Now it's a mile and a sixteenth. Woodbine, still one of the rare synthetic tracks. Um, it drew a short field, and I hate to see that when you're giving out $200,000 and it's a great <laughs> two. But it's, uh, you know, it's still, a, it's, it's an interesting group, but 
the, the horse that my eye gets drawn to, and you can correct me because I'm probably wrong, is, are you kidding me? I mean, this horse, I'm looking at its pattern. This horse won this race last year off just one start, and he comes into the race this year off just one start, but it was a dismal performance in the Maker's Mark Mile. Uh, again, that's a turf race. It's not a synthetic race. This horse likes Woodbine. It's won over a quarter million dollars there, and it does it does like grass. I'm just scratching my head about the Maker's Mark. It was its first back, but it, it, it seems to me, you know, that this is a horse that during its life has 24 of his 25 starts have either been on turf or synthetic. Uh, I'm looking like he's the horse with the uh, target on his back. Okay, so you're talking about are you kidding me? Yeah, are you kidding me? <laughs> right. right. No, really. Um, you know, the um, Maker's Mark Mile was a very good race, and actually a Philly won that race um, <clears throat> and is, I, I believe, racing or scheduled to race at Royal Ascot, uh, Miss Temple City. Heart yeah. to Heart is a very, very good horse, um, you know, on grass. But you know what? That might have been a very good prep for Are You Kidding Me? Um, he hasn't raced on the um, the new synthetic at Woodbine, which is now Tapita versus Ah, Poly- I didn't know that. Yes. But, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the Poly track was replaced with Tapita at the end of last year, I believe. And um, so, you know what, though? I mean, his works at Woodbine are great, and, you know, he's... He's, you know, he's, he just races well there. This is his distance. Um, you know, he looks really good. Uh, the jockey, Ellen Garcia, has ridden him many times at Woodbine. He's done really, really well with him. So, you know, it, it, it's a very uh, closely group field, I think. I went with Melmick or Melmich. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. But, uh, you know, he hasn't raced since November, but... Um, you know, he did. He, he's strictly a poly track type horse or a synthetic horse, I should say. And his works are good on the new Woodbine Tapita. And uh, you know, I mean, he won. He's won. He's won the mile and sixteenth. But then he stretched out to a mile and three quarters and won that race by ten lengths. So, I think uh, Melmich might be the uh, uh, the horse to look at here. But I do like. Are you kidding me? Well, I, you know, I, I think a horse that mirrors Melmec is Florida One. They're both making their debut for 2016, and they are both, uh, you know, experts at both synthetic or turf. And he certainly brings credentials to this race. And a, a horse that uh, likes uh, Woodbine, of course, you said the surface is different, but uh, won the Ontario Derby last year there, and uh, uh, the Grade Three. Uh, Seagram Cup, of course, the Ontario Derby and the Seagram Cup are grade threes. Uh, but we'll find out. They really mirror image each other, I think. But uh, I, I do see that in the autumn stakes, its last start, Florida won. He was beaten pretty good by Are You Kidding Me? So, Are You Kidding well, Me? I think the horse to beat, but I, I like both those other two uh, underneath. Well, uh, the action well, um, is starting to gear back up at, at Arlington Park. And in searching the national racing scene, I came down with two races that are got pretty interesting angles all over the place. Uh, let's see. we got about five minutes left, Tom, so I'm putting your feet to the fire. All right. Um, 
The uh, the Arlington Matron, it's a grade three, 100,000. Uh, we're going a mile and a 16th. What's interesting is, I, I'm sorry, we're going a mile and an eighth, is that none of these horses have won at this distance on the dirt, and six of them are trying for this distance for the very first time in their career. Yeah, well, um, you know, and... It- yeah, uh, there are horses here who are coming in off of layoffs and stuff, but uh, Brooklyn's Way, um, who raced in the La Troyenne, which was a mile and 16th grade one at Churchill on um, Kentucky Oaks Day, you know, and, I mean, it wasn't a great race. She finished fifth, which isn't bad, you know, beyond horses like Carolina uh, engagingly in sheer drama. And, uh, you know, she has a... She has a good record on synthetic, and, um, you know, she's stretching out the two turns. Uh, well, not stretching out, but she's back to two turns. And, um, you know, I think she kind of fits here. Um, you know, she can kind of stay close and rally off the pace. The other horse I like is Flip Cup, who has not raced since December, but uh, has a really good record uh, um, at Woodbine on synthetic. Again, this is not the same synthetic. But, you know, I think she looks pretty good, so I'm going to go with Brooklyn's Way. That's great. I've got checks on both of those horses. Quite frankly, uh, what I like about Brooklyn's Way is uh, it's trained by the new old dog on the block, (laughs) Bertie Flint, who hasn't had a graded stakes win in a couple of years. Within the last month, has had two of them. Uh, He he had one at Baltimore over the weekend. He had one at at, at Keeneland during their meet. So I I love seeing a a veteran trainer like Bernie Flint come up with a good one. So hard to leave him off. We're looking at three minutes left, Tom. Sorry to put your back up against the wall. But the Arlington Classic, we're going a mile and a 16th on the turf. In my opinion, and obviously the odds makers' opinion slightly, though you get $7 to win if it stays, uh, surgical strike. Uh, yeah. the, the interesting <laughs> thing here is that uh, you know, uh, you know, Ben Colebrook is putting blinkers on this horse, but I guess I can see why. He's had so many close calls. He's closing in on a quarter million dollars, but he just he doesn't have any desire to race early. There's at least three of these horses I know you've raced that, are, that you've seen race coming out of the spiral stakes. He looks like yeah. the one to beat, and uh, the, the, the horse I see as a threat is this Swagger Jagger. Uh, you know, Mike Maker's got a way of taking horses off uh, layoffs. Of course, he got beat pretty good in the Bataglia by surgical strike. Didn't do anything in the spiral, but, uh, you know, again, those weren't on turf. They were on synthetic. Those are the two I'm looking at. What do you got in a couple of minutes? Uh, the same horses. Um, Swagger Jack, I think, would be better if this race stays on the grass. Okay, fine. Surgical strike, if this race runs on the grass, I think he's fine. If it comes off and goes on the poly at Arlington, <clears throat> actually, it might even be better. You know, he's coming out of a really good race at Churchill Downs. And you know what? You're right. He doesn't have speed. But you know what? Uh, this is a really, really good horse who I actually, like, might have bet had he run in the Derby or had he qualified for the Derby, because he's never on the dirt. We don't know what he can do, but he's just a really nice, solid horse. He's got a good foundation. And so turf or dirt, absolutely surgical strike. 
Well, that, that's the horse I got my big star by. <laughs> uh, again, uh, you know, I made the case for uh, Swagger Jagger. I'm going to put him underneath the morning line uh, at 10 to 1. I really think going back on grass, if it stays on grass, I haven't checked the Chicago weather, uh, could be a factor. And I kind of like this one mean man. Look who trains. Bernie Flint. Coming back off of a, a little bit of a rut race, he's batting 26%, you know. That would be pretty cool if uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, Bernie Flint rose from the ashes and started telling people, hey, maybe you forgot some of the great stakes horses I used to have. Well, yeah, and, and he's, you know, he's, he's had quite a few. Um, you know, I think, you know, if the race stays on the turf, I think he's, you know, he's okay. Um, you know, um, all weather we need to see, but really surgical strike, I think is a very good three-year-old and, um, you know, he really hasn't won as much as I think that he could have <laughs> strictly because of his running style, but I think he's really good. Well, we'll see if the difference of blinkers on uh, makes a difference there. Uh, he's the horse that uh, both Tom Lamar from the Bloat Horse and myself like. I had your friend Frank Angst on a couple weeks ago, and it looks like about my Belmont reporter is going to be your friend Claire Novak from the Blood yeah. Horse. I'm going to be cool. have her on the, uh, the Thursday before the Belmont because I know you guys yeah. are uh, paying her plane fare there. So uh, <laughs> like all you guys at the Blood Horse, you do, do a fantastic job, and I know you are – a very busy man, Tom Lamar. Thanks for everything you do, Thanks, uh, being a great ambassador of racing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, we've been talking with Tom Lamara. I also want to thank Doug Reed from the University of Arizona Racetrack Industry Program. Wish him nothing but the best in the future, but he's one of those guys you don't got to worry about landing on your feet. Appreciate the time. Both of them spent with us this evening on Winning Ponies. Well, that's about it. My producer says time to go, John. So as I look out the manicured turf course across the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky, I remind you all, pull down your easy wind forms and bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.